Thank you for joining us. You're listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. It seems to me that there are four classes of Christians. There's first that body of people who call themselves Christian, but they are really very worldly. They love the things of darkness. They pursue at every opportunity the things of darkness. And they really have no conviction of heart regarding their life. For them, it's a party. There's no compelling presence of the Holy Ghost that moves in their spirit. They're dead. Yea, they're twice dead, the scriptures say. There's a second class of those who call themselves Christians. They're lukewarm. They're Laodicea. There's no passion. They go to church, they pay their tithes, they go through the rituals, but what their thoughts are really on are all the activities that are coming. They're thinking about their life. They're thinking about their personal interests. So they have no passion for the things of God because they're concerned with their own stuff. They're absorbed in the world, but they do keep the rituals and they do have some sense that they should be following the Lord God of heaven. Then there's a third class of Christian. This third class of Christian is intent on following Jesus. But they're always slipping and sliding. It's as though they live under a cloud. They gain the victory. They know their sins are forgiven. But then something will come up very quickly. It'll capture them and they'll be taken off into darkness again. And so life for this group of people is a constant struggle. Life is hard. The Christian walk is hard. God is hard. How are we going to deal with this? And finally, there's a temptation to just settle back and say, look, I'm never going to be able to make it. I'm just going to trust in the grace of Jesus, and I'm going to go on and live my life. And of course, that's a total cop-out. It really says, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart, but I want the world too. This Christian does not walk in joy. They walk under that shadow of condemnation going from struggle to struggle to struggle. Then there is a fourth class. This class is characterized by joyous victory. Their soul has unbroken fellowship, heavenward. With its peace and joy, it carries blessing wherever its influence is felt. The will is surrendered, the life wholly consecrated, The divine acceptance is sealed by the filling of the Spirit. Most of us in this house have lived in that third part, that third class of Christians. 
constantly struggling and falling and struggling and falling. I want to share with you today the story of Anna. She was born 1810. She was referred to in, in Ireland as Holy Anna. She did not appreciate that name. She did everything she could to cast it off. The Catholic boys would come and write it on her door as a, as a term of scorn. But then her friends and family began to call her Holy Anna too. And she finally went to the Lord and said, Lord, you're the one who's holy. I trust you. Anna was raised in an Irish farm family. And she was considered to be dumber than a post. They sent her to school. And within two weeks, the teacher had kicked her out and said, this girl cannot learn her alphabet. She would tried to learn the alphabet for two weeks and couldn't learn it. They said, if she doesn't know the alphabet, she'll never read. And they sent her home. So she went home to go to work. Family was poor. So finally, the family hired her out to another farm family where she simply worked as a laborer. In the midst of her labor, she began to spiral downward. The men grabbed a hold of her and forced her to drink the strong Irish whiskey until she was absolutely drunk. The scenes of wild, drunken parties. She was utterly uneducated, ignorant of the things of God, without light in her spirit. She was filled with darkness. And she had absolutely no ability to change her situation. But there was something in her heart that began to cry out to God. There is no human reason why she should have cried out to God. But she began to hear that God loved her. She was told, you can pray, and if you pray, God will hear you. So Anna, being so dumb didn't know any better than to go pray. So she got down on her knees, and she began to pray. But suddenly, a great cry burst from her soul. Suddenly, she was weeping, crying out at the top of her voice. The mistress, three floors down below, heard her cries, and immediately came to find out what the problem was. Well, the problem was very simple. She saw written on the chair in front of her all of her sins that she'd ever committed. 
Now remember, she couldn't read a word. She didn't even know her alphabet. But she could read the words on that chair, written in fire by the finger of God. Every sin she'd ever committed was right there. And she was weeping before God, going through that list that he'd given her, one by one, confessing her sin and crying out to God, forgive me. She never knew there was a scripture that said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But she was crying the publican's prayer. And as she cried out to God, God heard her cry. She said, a strange burning sensation began in her, in her chest. The presence of God began to move into her life. Began to redeem her. And she lived under a cloud. You see, she was beset by a temper, a hot, Celtic, Irish temper. She would mop the floor carefully, and then the children would come racing through with their muddy feet, and she would get angry. She lived under a cloud. She wept over her temper. She cried out to God over her temper. But there was no deliverance. For as soon as she would feel there was deliverance, she would go back to work, and the temper would spark, and she would be in flames again. I want to share with you now the story of the transition that occurred in her life. It happened thus. A young man who stayed all night at the home before retiring led the family worship, reading Psalm 34, the 16th verse. It was strongly impressed upon Anna's mind. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. She requested that the young man mark in the Bible for her this passage. Then she went to her room, taking the Bible with her, knelt down and began to pray for light. She opened the Bible at the place where the leaf had been turned down, but the adversary was there to contend with her. His suggestion was, you can't read it. To which Anna replied, well, the Lord will give it to me. And in a wonderful way, she was enabled to read it over and over again. Men may explain it as they will, but until this time, with this one exception already noted when she read the words on the chair describing her sin, Anna had never been able to read a word or decipher the alphabet but from this time forth, she could read in a simple way from the Bible, although until the close of her life, she was unable to read any other book. And a newspaper was like a foreign language to her. While still upon her knees, she said, Lord, what is evil? And the answer came, anger, wrath malice, 
All night long she wept and prayed as the inward sinfulness was revealed to her. Toward morning, in sheer desperation, she cried out, Oh Lord, how will I know when I get deliverance? The answer came when Jacob wrestled until he prevailed. In her simplicity, Anna asked, What does prevailed mean? And to her the reply came, Getting just what you came for and all you want. Again she asked, What will it do for me when I get it? The reply came back, It will enable you to rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. You will live above the troubles of this world and the things that now upset you. But other suggestions were also made, like a flash. She recalled the circumstances of, a, of her former outbreaks, and the suggestion came, Yes, just wait until you're scrubbing the floor, and the children come in with their dirty feet. Then you will see your anger. But the conviction began to deepen that these outbreaks of the carnal mind were displeasing to God and that there was deliverance from them. When the morning broke and the children began to awaken, she was almost fleeing back to the bush to continue in her waiting for deliverance. She said determinedly, I'll die, but I'll have it. She arose and went downstairs. To her overwrought mind, the personal struggle with the devil was so great that she thought she could hear him following her. I think she could hear the devil following her because I've heard him following me. In the parlor, she met the young man whose word had reached her heart. He asked her, What have you been crying for all night? I want to be sanctified throughout, body, soul, and spirit. He simply said, well, Anna, how were you justified? She replied, why, just by believing what God said. Well, he said, complete victory comes in the same way. Again, Anna went to prayer, pleading the promise, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. She cried, O oh Lord, I've been knocking all night. Open unto me, open unto me. And there is little doubt but that the answer came there and then. For two hours it seemed that she had entered into heaven. This time the family was aroused with her shouts of praise instead of her cries and groans. She said as she looked out that nature took on a different hue and that the very trees seemed to be clapping their hands and praising God. With her heart overflowing, she cried, Father, didn't you intend that men should praise you more than these? She at once began to tell it around. She went to her old class leader and made known her newfound joy. He bade her to rejoice evermore and to pray without ceasing in order to keep it. This brought a shade of doubt as she wondered how she could pray without ceasing. She thought of the absorbing affairs of life and the things that would occupy her mind. 
and wondered how such a thing was possible. But her mind was speedily set at rest by the Scripture passage, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Her joy was so great that she could not eat for eight days. For eight days she was without food. Friends tried to persuade her to break her fast and to go forth and give her testimony. But it was some time before she felt that she could return to the ordinary duties. For seven years and a half after this, it seemed as though she was living in heavenly places. She fell back on the Methodist hymnal for expression as she often cried out, the heavens, the opening heavens round me shine with streams of sacred bliss while Jesus showed his presence mine and whispers, I am his. At the first dawn of consciousness in the morning, her mouth was filled with praises and her hands clapping for joy. There was very little difficulty in maintaining a Christian life with such a joyous experience. One morning, however, she awoke, and instead of the usual sense of joy and the burst of praise, her lips were dumb. At once the temptation came, you have lost the blessing. Well, thus tried, she fell asleep again and dreamed that she was talking to another woman with a like experience in her dream. And Anne urged her to walk by faith, quoting the text, but the just shall live by faith, and urged her to trust God. When she awoke and turned her sermon upon herself, the result, perfect peace returned. It was after this experience that Anna began to be called Holy Anna. As men and women came from all walks of life to have this humble woman pray over them. I have to recount one brief experience in her life story. She fell and injured her ankle. The only remedy for this ankle, they said, was to pull the skin back and scrape the bone clean and then bandage it up so that it would heal properly. And this, of course, was done without any anesthesia. She was on crutches, a great deal of pain. The doctors told her, the only way you're going to find a solution is by eating at least one egg a day. She said, there are no eggs. In this town, I have. And then she thought, I better pray. So she went to a prayer closet and she asked the Lord, I need an egg a day. One of the men in the house had gone out and was scouring the city trying to find one egg. But everyone who had chickens insisted they would not sell any. So Anna was sitting quietly. She heard a noise, and she opened her eyes, and a chicken walked in the front door. She watched the chicken as the chicken made its way up the stairs. 
not a cackle. Soon the chicken came back down again with no sound, was out the door and gone. She said, Lord, how am I going to get upstairs to retrieve the egg? She knew there was an egg upstairs. Very carefully, she moved as the Lord directed her. She went upstairs, and there in a box, one egg. She put it in her pocket very carefully, came back downstairs. Just as the gentleman in the house returned to tell her, there are no eggs available anywhere, she said, yes, there is. Handed him the egg, and he went and prepared it for her. For the next two weeks, this was done. Every day that chicken came, and every day that chicken laid one egg without a sound and then departed. She said her God could do anything. His arm was not too short. Do you want this experience that Anna stepped into by faith? I want it with all my heart. I want nothing to keep me from it. I want to be very bold with you. The Lord spoke to me this last week. He said to me, without justification, without sanctification, no man can enter the kingdom of God. And my eyes popped open. I said, what is that? Without justification, without sanctification, no man can enter the kingdom of God. That's what he said. And then he was gone. But these words are not New words. These are the words of Scripture. You find in the book of Acts a story. Paul is imprisoned in Acts 26. He is recounting for Agrippa the story of his conversion. In the 26th chapter of the book of Acts, this is what he says Jesus specifically said to him. Acts 26, verse 15. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and of what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, 
from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That's justification. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, confession. Almost all of my life, I've held the position that justification was by faith alone. I've often said, our standing before God is based on what Jesus Christ did at the cross, plus nothing. We are saved by faith. We are not saved by works. But I was a little uncertain about how to bring sanctification into that picture. But I want to tell you today, sanctification is achieved in the same way justification is achieved. By faith. Not by work. Holiness is not something we achieve by trying to be holy. Holiness is a gift that is given to us by the Holy Spirit when He moves in and takes charge. The reason some of us have constantly struggled with sin is because we thought justification was a free gift, and now we had to do it. I was taught that, ju- that sanctification was the work, quote-unquote, of a lifetime. And I was supposed to go to work now. I was supposed to do the best job I could do with my ability. And then I was taught, and where you fall short, don't worry, God will make up the difference. Well, that's a lie. There is no holiness that I can have that belongs to me. All holiness belongs to Jesus Christ. So what He does in me is His work. He does the work in me. He forgives me for the sin of the past. He wipes out the sin of my past. And now He redeems my future. The question is, is it easier to work hard on my life than to go into the prayer closet and battle this thing out until it's done? And the victory comes in the Holy Spirit. I would a lot rather just continue to struggle along. At least I can feel like I'm making some worthwhile contribution to the task of being a Christian. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. Sanctification is a free gift of grace, just as justification is a free gift of grace. Therefore, Jesus' words to the Apostle Paul demand full justification and full sanctification to enter into the kingdom of God. As long as sanctification is my responsibility, then I have to measure up 
And then we can plead, oh God, be merciful to me because I haven't been able to measure up yet. But I'm doing my best. You just have to cut me a break here, God, because look how bad I am. I'm doing the best I can. If you're a loving God, you're at least going to cut me some slack here. But that's not the way it is. There is victory in Jesus. There is entrance into a whole nother life now. Not waiting for the other side. There's a life now to step into. And that life now is called a sanctified life. And it's the life that Anna by faith stepped into. John Wesley, speaking about this, said three out of four people who enter into sanctification will also leave it. Oh, I puzzled over that. We are so addicted to struggle and conflict and making it hard to simply receive, to simply open our hearts in faith and say by faith, I receive all that you want to give me, Jesus. To take my whole will and give it over to Jesus. To take my whole spirit and give it over to Jesus. To say, I'm no longer going to fight. I'm no longer going to battle. I'm going to go to my prayer closet and I'm going to fight it out on my knees and I'm going to give this thing into the hand of Jesus. And I'm going to stand by faith that this work is done and I am free. Oh, now we have something very different going on. Now we have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in a life. And now we have a whole fellowship shouting with victory as we come through. Now we have a whole people. All they can do is rejoice and praise his name because they know the Lord. They know his mercy and his kindness. Well, most of us in this house know the discipline of the Lord. And most of us in this house have grumbled against the discipline of the Lord. Most of us have accused God of being tough, hard, sharp. But we've said, we deserve it. And the truth is, we deserve a, mo- a great deal more than we've received. I have to tell you, if my dad knew all the trouble I got into, I'd have been in the woodshed much more often than I was. But fortunately, I was able to conceal much from him. It wasn't until I was an adult man that I began to recount some of the stories And then he could laugh with me and slap his leg and say, oh, if I'd have known. (laughs) Oh, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows where our heart is today. He knows where you are with him. He knows the rebellion of your heart. He knows the struggle of your heart. He knows the tenderness of your spirit toward the Lord Jesus. And today I want to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the bad news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news. 
It's not good news if it beats me up. It's bad news. It's good news if it opens before me a door, a way of deliverance, a way to enter in to the glorious fellowship of oneness with the Father. That's good news. Paul says, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. How could they do that? Because the deeds were coming from the heart of Jesus. The sign of a person who is sanctified is a person who is filled with joy and power and oneness with God. No longer having to battle and struggle and fight and everything is tough and hard. No, it's walking in the joy of the Lord God of heaven. It's being released to be free from sin. Now, there are two camps in this issue of of sanctification. I want to share both of them, and I don't want to say which one is right. But historically, there have been two camps. One side has believed that when a man is sanctified, the evil nature is utterly suppressed so that it can no longer operate. Another camp believes that when a man is truly sanctified, the old nature is totally eradicated. It's destroyed. It's gone. You know what? I don't care which one is true. I want them both. Amen. I want them both. I want the freedom and the glorious presence of the Holy Spirit in my life where there's no rebellion in my soul against Jesus, where the natural flow of my heart is toward the kingdom of God. I no longer am attracted by the darkness. I had a dream this week. We just finished a broadcast. I lay down on the bed. said, I'll take five winks. I immediately was asleep, and I was in an elevator. It was a beautiful elevator. It was filled with light. I pushed the button to go to the floor I wanted to go to, and that elevator began to drop like a rock. Fast, way down below where any place should open. And suddenly the elevator stopped. The door opened deep under the earth. And there was such utter darkness. I turned and I looked at that darkness. And I said, I will not die. I will live. And I was awake. I've been praising Jesus for that dream because there was nothing in my soul that wanted to go explore that dark cavern. My only desire was to stay in that brilliant light, even though I felt like I was a target for anything in the darkness. Anybody who's in the light is a sitting target Because you're out in the open, and everyone can see. But oh, to be in the arms of Jesus, 
I'm willing to be in the open. There's nothing in my heart that wants to go back to that darkness. I want to walk in one accord with Jesus Christ. Now, there's a battle to be fought. I've been reading and rereading and rereading and rereading and rereading and rereading the book of Romans. Chapters 3, 4, and 5 deal with justification by faith. 6, 7, and 8 deal with sanctification by faith. Chapters 1 and 2 and part of 3 tell us how evil we are. That's why it's taken us a week, two weeks, to get through the first two chapters. When you read the first three chapters on justification by faith, it says we have been justified freely. There's just one catch that he doesn't talk about in those first three chapters. How do we escape the authority of the law? You have to go to other parts of Paul to find out what he says about how you escape from the power of the law. He says when a couple gets married, there's only one way that marriage vow can be broken. Somebody has to die. And when that person dies, the other person is freed from that marriage vow. The law of marriage no longer applies to them. So Paul says you're justified by faith. It's the blood atonement of Jesus Christ that has opened the door for our justification. But justification demands somebody die. And Jesus died for us. But we don't believe in the substitutionary death of Jesus. What do I mean? I mean, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Yes. In other words, justification comes to the person who's willing to die with Christ, that they can be resurrected with Christ into the newness of life. That new life now that you're coming into means you're a regenerated person. The word regenerate, you know what it means, don't you? Just make new. Be made new. A new creature in Christ. So a person who's regenerated has been made new. Now, a person who has been made new by faith has been justified and all the past sins have been taken away. That person has not yet been sanctified. They've been made new by faith. But sanctification is where it's actually worked out. And the reality of what happened at the justification 
part is finally fulfilled and we see the reality of it. And the reason the American church has no power is that we've never allowed this work to be completed in our hearts and lives. So we've grabbed what Jesus offered at the cross and said, I'll, I'll take that, thank you very much, and I'll take the world too. You can't have Jesus and the world too. can't have them both. You can have one or the other. This sanctification means that I finally said, Jesus, you've made me into a new creature, and I don't need this world anymore. I don't need to run my own life anymore. I'm going to walk now with you, Jesus. You're the boss. You take over my life. You run my affairs. I'm now looking to you, Jesus. I reach out to you by faith, Jesus. Would you do this work sovereignly in my heart and in my life? Could I be made new in reality? Not just by faith, but in reality, could I be made new so that I walk in the newness of this experience and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? See, we've said sanctification is the work of a lifetime, and so we have a whole lifetime to work on ourselves. How utterly self-centered and selfish is that? The Lord wants us to come into the newness of the fullness of sanctification so that he can then use us to accomplish something for the salvation of somebody else. Oh, is that good news to your heart? Have you ever gotten tired of looking at the mirror yourself? Oh, I want to break every mirror. I'm tired of looking at me. I want to look at Jesus. I want to be consumed by his beauty. I want to be filled with his love. He's who my heart desires. There is an experience that all of us, I urge, need to move toward as quickly as possible. Standing by faith every day, saying, Jesus, by faith, today you'll do it. Today the victory is won. Today break out in my life, Jesus. Today take control. Today, Jesus, I'm not worried about tomorrow or next week. I'm only concerned today, Jesus, take over. Do this work in my heart today, now. I want to walk in the newness of life with the joy of the presence of God in my heart. There is a place of such joy and power and peace, and we haven't begun to find it yet. I'm committing my heart to whole sanctification. And I'm telling you, I'm going through by faith in Jesus Christ. I'll no longer live under the cloud of not knowing I'm going to walk in the fullness of Jesus. I want my life to be a testimony for the power of Almighty God 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I read about your servant Anne, and I say, oh God, if she could have it. You're no respecter of persons. I claim it likewise. I stand by faith for this fellowship that, Lord God, before you break out in revival in this nation, you'll break out in this house with signs and wonders. And, Lord, the greatest sign of all is the explosion of love and joy in our hearts as we let go of all of our stuff and simply trust you, Jesus. Have your way, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh